Welcome to the CSA Survivor Speak podcast. I am your host, Wendy Ward Hoffer, a mother, author, and educator, also a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. The purpose of this podcast is to provide empathy and hope to survivors, as well as to educate the community about the lifelong impacts of childhood sexual abuse. Find us on Instagram at CSA Survivors Speak Podcast, all one word, for more information and resources. In each episode, I talk with a courageous survivor willing to share their personal story. Before we get started, I just want to remind listeners that this content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself. Take breaks and seek support as needed. Thank you so much for listening. My guest today is Will Addis. Join us from Maine. Hello, Will. Hi, Wendy. It's great to be with you here. Uh, I appreciate you so much and grateful that we're here together. Thank you for putting together this podcast series and for having me. I'm so grateful that you were able to join and and share some of your experiences. So how are you doing these days? I know you've shared with me in the past some about your journey of recovery and um, so much of what I, my focus in my life has been the past two years has been to expand the language to which to communicate my feelings and emotions around the trauma that I, um, you know, childhood trauma um, that was, you know, part of my life. So um, it's, you know, I think now is to help to educate the broader community um, about these long-term impacts of childhood sexual abuse, also offer hope and empathy, um, but also to recognize that I'm on my healing journey. Uh, You know, this is part of my healing journey right now too. Yeah, you're so brave um, to tell your story and to share your experience. I really appreciate that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I thought about, you know, people have mentioned to me the word brave, as I'm sure they have with you. And it'd be interesting to get your take on what brave means to you. But I was thinking about that over the past couple of months. And where I see myself feeling any type of braveness is, and what I would hope that the listeners would feel, is just to become brave enough to wander you know, to become brave enough to wonder what might be behind these triggers. And we can get into triggers and coping mechanisms or protectors, I I like to call them. Um, But that's where I feel like, you know, if we're able to become brave enough just to wonder, um, and then we can start to dig, uh, you know, traumatic events in our life, whatever form, of you know, trauma, that big T or little T type trauma. Mm. Yeah, that is, that's a good way to put it. Just the curiosity takes courage. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think what's so hard, you know, at least for childhood trauma is if you break down kind of the background of, you know, either for me, it was, was, you know, sexual abuse as a nine, 10 and 11 year old. Um, You know, it was hard to break down for, for me, you know, what is the physical, what's, what's the difference between physical health and mental health, you know, and how do we bring awareness to childhood trauma? Um, you know, frankly, you, you know, it's a tear, rip or break um, of a bone, but it's in a mental stage. So, um, 
you know, we need to just keep going without truly understanding the pain and healing appropriately, or that's what we typically do, but because the healing is invisible. And so, so much of what I've learned in my childhood um, and my life is that I've been running from these impermissible feelings from the past, um, emotional disturbances. And, you know, now I think it's safe to say we've all lived through trauma well before COVID. It's just more present for us now. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it's a conversation that I think is relevant to most people, um, you know, whether or not they've, you know, had childhood or, uh, you know, childhood trauma or just trauma that we experience every day. Yeah, and that's interesting how you're talking about the invisibility of it, right? When someone gets a physical injury that we can see and we see the cast and the crutches and we have a certain response and yet trauma like childhood sexual abuse is all the more painful and then it's invisible. Um, and so I'm curious what your thoughts are on just that secrecy or that hiding that so many of us do. Well, it's amazing. I mean, it's such secrecy and hiding. I mean, for me, I tried to pretend that it was never, it never happened to me. Um, you know, I didn't, I, I was ultimately lying to others and lying to myself, although I knew it happened. I, I had so much embarrassment and fear and shame that I ultimately built these protective mechanisms that people typically call coping mechanisms, I like to call them protectors, um, to avoid ever having to face these wounds, you know, and these protection protectors could look good on the outside, like achievement or accomplishing things quickly at work or socially, but it also could look like drug addiction. Um, and we build these protections so we don't have to go there. Mm. Um, we put the childhood memories down, pretending that they never happened until we get triggered. And then the past gets uncovered and spreads all over the place. Right. And for me, this childhood trauma impacted me in ways that I didn't even know yet. And I'm increasingly becoming aware now trying to gain control back that was taken away from me. And so I looked to gain my full space because I was withdrawing um, and wanting to feel like I was connected, but away and comfortable and secure. And so I found myself needing or feeling the desire or wasn't a need, but a want to control my space through owning my physical space, um, which led me into, into uh, real estate. Um, you know, at the time it was abandoning my career at the time, but it was, you know, ultimately I, you know, I trust the path that we're on now. And, um, and, and, you know, I, I, I do feel like there is a path, you know, spiritual, you know, I think we all are on a spiritual journey, but at the time, um, you know, I didn't love myself and, I, and I'm just working now to find self-interest and to have a conversation with my inner self. Mm. Yeah, and so Will, you had had great sort of success and achievement. You were a division one soccer player. You worked in a large financial institution as a very young vice president. Um, and then you're saying your career shift into real estate was really a response to your trauma. I was working in technology banking or banking with technology companies. Um, to maintain a public image through somewhat of a marketing lens or a sales lens and i was you know, so shocked everything came this this triggered my whole past um, of when i was 9 10 11 um, years old came back and 
in, in these flashbacks, and especially there was an event where the, the counselor who abused me was convicted of abusing another child, two other children. And I received a phone call that brought everything back up into me. Um, everything became, all of my pasts came spilled all over the place. And the call was, you know, didn't know who it was, didn't announce himself. And it was, um, said he said something like along the lines of, uh, is this Will Addis? I said, yes. He says, you know, where there's an ongoing investigation of Matt Scovito. It's been uh, known or, you know, it's been uh, noted that he may have touched you. Is that true? And in the back of my head, I just said, say no as firm as you can, you know, you not, you know, and so I just said, no, he didn't. And he said, um, a woman replied, was also on the phone and said, you know, do you know of anyone else he may have touched? And I said, no. And I hung up the phone and then, you know, I thought I was away, stepping away. I always knew this was with me, um, but I was away in Boston, having moved to Boston. I didn't grow up in, you know, New England. So this was a new city, you know, and so all of a sudden now I'm looking over my shoulder when I'm walking to work, when I'm walking to the grocery store, thinking who's watching me, you know, who, who and, and this incredible anxiety coupled with the work um, responsibility, I, I thought, boy, if people find out that, you know, I was, you know, sexually abused and I wouldn't have used the, you know, that I didn't understand what happened to me, but if people knew it was, this was part of my life, my childhood, they're going to think so much less of me. I better pull the ripcord out before it gets pulled on me. Mm. Um, and I ended up moving into a, what was once a seasonal cottage, and abandoning my career to work in construction. Um, and I would have taken a position that I could storytell this fear. So much of my decisions were based on fear and fear alone, um, but also, you know, coupled with shame and. Um, and embarrassment um and so, so it's just i think when you start to understand that shame is underpinned by vulnerability and we need to be vulnerable in order to heal um and you really start to then you it, you almost have a personal at least for me had a personal breakthrough and that i understand that this wasn't my fault yeah and you, you were vulnerable. Um, the first person you spoke to was your girlfriend. And um, can you talk a little bit about that conversation and, and how you made that decision to disclose? Yeah, I mean, my, my protectors were completely failing to protect me, or at least it felt that way. I became suicidal. Um, I was fully withdrawn from my family and friends. You know, as mentioned, I abandoned my career. Um, didn't seem like I was on a path at the time. Um, I was living on a seasonal island northeast of uh, Cape Cod. You know, my girlfriend Haley, five years, just left the house since she feared for her safety being around me. I couldn't escape from the flashbacks, the desire, need for control. I was constantly worrying about what other people would think about me. Protectors failed. I started turning to drug and alcohol abuse and just had so much anger build up. I truly thought that my life was going to end. To end. And I, I thought that I always knew, you know, or I thought, not that I knew, but I told myself by this belief system that I would end up taking my own life. You know, this would be, you know, there would, just like I pulled the ripcord on work, I'd pull the ripcord on, on life. Um, and I thought, well, maybe this is it. And so I thought, well, if this is it. I should do one last walk. And, you know, um, as I was walking around the neighborhood, I started to jog. And this was 
bizarre to me at the time because I hadn't done any self-care for thinking, wow, this is the first time I've actually started to get a jog. I'm outside. I'm caring for myself. The sun was rising. Um, I was looking directly into it. And I started to tear up thinking that, you know, there was a glimpse of hope, you know, I, and, and I believe in this moment, it was, I connected with my inner self mm. um, and, and I acted with urgency. And so in this glimpse, I thought, well, I have to try to save this life. Um, yes. And, and so my urgency was I got on a ferry, the earliest ferry I could. I drove to Portland, Maine, which is where Haley was at the time. Um, and I found myself in her father's kitchen um, and my mind was racing. And in the back of my head, I was saying to my, my, my roommate in my head, was basically, I was saying, tell, my inner self was saying, tell her. My roommate in my head was saying, no, don't tell her. So that's what that roommate's been telling me my whole life. And then my inner self was saying, no, tell her. And it was a conversation that almost felt like it was, you know, with myself. And, and I had no idea why I was about to tell her about my time at camp. However, there was a deep burn. You know, I just had to get it out in order for me to breathe and see this future. So I told her, I said something along the lines of, you know, when I was at some, I feel like I have to tell you this, I'm not sure why, you know, when I was at summer camp, it was 9, 10, and 11, there was this counselor of mine who would do sexual activities to me and force them to do those activities to him. And there was a slight pause and her response was, well, this all makes sense. And uh -huh. I just was immediately appalled. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she, she said, well, you've been living in fear. And so I had this immediate sense of relief that there was an acceptance of it. She didn't approve of it, but the blame for myself was totally discharged, um, you know, to panic, you know? And so now I learned this wasn't my fault. My entire belief system was based on this perceived reality rooted in fear and shame. And I just was, you know, since shame was so difficult to face, I just was denying, denying, denying um, until I basically accepted I've been running away from this. And, and then vulnerability, that, that was the first sense of basically me becoming, allowing myself to become vulnerable. Um, and then seeing this other perspective that she, which is the appropriate, and that's the you know perspective that we all have, but, you know, I guess we're not able to, I wasn't able to, to see that perspective being the subject, I guess. Um, and that's what led me, you know, into receive, starting to receive my mental health treatment. Um, oh, well, I, first, I'm so glad you're still here. And I'm so glad that you told her and that she was able to respond with so much understanding. It's incredible. It truly is incredible. I mean, it's fairly remarkable. And I'm so incredibly grateful grateful um for her and and how she responded and obviously the work that she has done individually um you know the past year has been the past two years has been um very much of a commitment to mental health treatment and to um connecting um you know finding ways that that we can connect um through that process, which has been an amazing, um, just amazing part of the journey. Um, and, and, you know, it, I think what's so challenging when I think about just relationships is my energy historically has been so much focused on 
others and how others perceive me. Um, so I became in the, I, I thought I had such high emotional intelligence because I could presumably mind read people and, um, you know, I'd play the spectrum um, with trying to become who other people want me to be. Yeah. Um, and what I, and, and likewise with her, you know, and so if she wasn't happy, then I wasn't, you know, happy. And I was relying and dependent on other for my happiness. Um, and because ultimately I was scared for people to find out who I really am in this deep, deep dark, you know, hole of mine. And so, but since clearing that out and, and feeling like I opened this window and there's just fresh air flowing in and all this toxic waste flowing out, it, it you know, allowed, I, I've learned I need to be able to tend to myself and, and, and have this conversation with myself for myself um, and to ultimately become, and to love myself, you know, because I'm inadequacy and I'm unlovable and I'm unworthy, unworthy to live, you know? And so now it's this newfound belief system that starts with, I like myself, I give love, I am worthy of, of life. I'm, you know, and I'm, um, and it's okay for me to treat myself as I would treat others and um, giving myself that some research says that trauma with family or friends can bond people together and I think that's true in some cases um, but I don't think that's applicable for all you know all instances um, it, it definitely requires as is required for me a lot of self-work a lot of attention to self um, which has been really core for for me to you know start to become my own individual um you know another thing i think what i've learned is you know kind of going into this healing path is um you know it's a delicate process but what you learn is that you are at least i was hijacked of my childhood development and so i'm a 31 year old body you know living trying to live as a re reparent myself as a nine and ten year old child which can be somewhat confusing um yeah. to yourself but also to others um you know in a you know rom you know romantic or relationship. i think it was also you know the, the thought of me being a man and my counselor also being a man um was something that was an incredible amount of embarrassment embarrassment and, sh and shame um and thinking that other may perceive me to be homosexual and the time in you know 2000 in the early 2000s when i was you know being other than heterosexual was socially frowned upon or in my opinion seemed to be socially frowned that has since changed and i'm thankful that it has um in all those in move in that broader movement um but at the time being you know at an all boys camp you know they're you know being someone who was into you know other boys or men um or might be you know sleeping with other you know was something that was i mean it was just something that you definitely wanted to avoid i grow up questioning my sexuality knowing this happened to me at such a young age um but what really happened was that it was less of the sexual nature it was more of the power that he took over me um and and so, so much, I think, of th that misplaced power has been him hijacking my development. And so could it be that I never 
went through a discovery process to understand what my sexuality is because I just, or, or a kind of a normal discovery process a child would go through as, a, as being curious and, and asking questions. Because for me, it was, I just can't let anyone know this is happening to me. Um, and so there's no chance that I can let anyone, you know, would potentially even be into, you know, other men. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was based on fear. And so, you know, I've since in a 31 year old body through that curiosity thought process to say, am I into other men? Am I into, you know, and so I'm having to reparent myself um, because so much of that discovery process was hijacked and I so solely focused on performance um, because that's what was perceived by others. And that's how I could protect my image and protect myself. Um, so anyway. That is such a heavy load to carry through adolescence, that, that needing to hide and that uncertainty that you experience. Yeah, it, it's, you, you know, it said to me, imagine all the energy that you have spent to hide this part of you. And imagine if you didn't, imagine if you could put all that energy to something, you know, into another part of your life. Yeah. Um, and in a way, don't feel grieved that you, but because you have, because you've been, you know, for 20 years, been carrying this, putting less energy, you know, feel actually some liberty and freedom to say, wow, well, I don't have to do that anymore. Mm. And I think so much of it is to thank the last 20 years that all it offered me to get to me now. And while it's been a good, committed devotional practice, you know, healing is absolutely possible. Um, and I think you and I are living proof that there is a guided path from trauma to profound freedom and inner peace. It doesn't mean that there's not more crystal to shine or that, you know, doesn't mean that I don't go to therapy once and sometimes twice a week. Um, but that's because I want to continue to care for and honor all the parts of who I am. But you're just amazing, Will, the way you can share about your experience and the sense that you've made of this. I'm so curious, uh, as you talk about that path to recovery, what have been some strategies or some resources that have really helped you? It's so hard to go straight into trauma. It's terrifying. Um, so I think it's, you know, just to know it's, a, it's an incredibly delicate process. You know, it's because it's not a logical fear you know, that we have in our conscious awareness. It's a sense, it's an underbelly looking back. Um, it's, and looking back, you can see the map, but in it, you don't recognize it. Um, and so I think, you know, when I think about my, through mental health treatment, um, which was, was main medical, which was my first step um, in their outpatient program, you know, it brought me awareness to my current belief system, which was incredibly unhealthy. Um, or my past belief system was unhealthy to bring a new belief system into my life that has structure, um, you know, structure in the way of um, body care or categories that I look to accomplish or, or section two with, or accomplish with structures, body care, connection, enjoyment, and achievement. Um, so today my, you know, body care, I you know, practice yoga before our um, podcast or conversation right now, uh, connection, connection with you and, and, you know, putting together this, this, this podcast and having this conversation with you, um, enjoyment this afternoon, my 
be going for a bike ride or, or taking her dog for a walk and an achievement, um, you know, might look something like, you know, completing, um, you know, research on another, on a, on a possible, you know, real estate opportunity, or it could be, um, you know, uh, cooking a, a meal that I haven't, you know, tried cooking yet. And so, um, you know, I think so much of that, that structure has been, uh, incredibly important for me. Um, you know, having structure to my life, having self agency that, you know, I am the subject influencing my life has been critical, um, for me to, to start to do practices, um, to bring that child into my life. Um, you know, I'm so much focusing now on who I am rather than what I am. Um, so if you were to ask me, well, who are you today? I would simply say, I'm an aware adult. Um, you know, it's not, I don't, it's not, I know I'm not a ex banker. I'm not a, ex, you know, I'm not a, you know, live in this town. I'm, I'm just an aware adult. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, I matter to myself and letting myself know, reminding myself to have compassion, to be calm, to be curious, to be creative. So it, it's a lot, of, you know, for me, what I've learned recently what I'm working on now, I mentioned yoga, is that body work has been incredibly relevant because I'm finding that these memories, past memories, are being held in my connective fascia tissue, especially in my shoulders. And so um, trauma-informed yoga, um, longer holding positions um, has been allowed me so much access to somewhat free this uh, free this energy, free these memories to create new space for new memories. It's almost the healing actually becomes somewhat physical um, and body response um, and, and into kind of these memories and emotions that we hold and we've just pressed down um, for so many, so many years. Spirituality has been beautiful, a beautiful part of my journey. You know, I, I do feel um, that having a spiritual practice at times can allow us of the pain. Um, I feel as though it's another form of protector, um, protecting what's deeper. Um, but it's deep transformational work all around, you know, creating a direct of access from self-energy, compassion, courageous, caring, undamaged adult self to the damaged exiled child. Um, and there's so much work in therapy retrieving him into my life today. Um, and there's still a lot of work to do. Um, you know, I can talk now about this, having it not trigger me, um, but I'm, you know, doing therapy every week, reconnecting with that child um, as relates to relationships, hobbies, family, and I'm uncovering more and more. The first step to all of this was allowing myself to become vulnerable, which is under, understanding is underpinned by shame and bring awareness to this mental injury. Um, and then understanding my belief system, the protectors that were once failing me um, and then, you know, which ultimately unlocked this healing journey. And I'm, I'm on the journey today. This is very much part of my journey. Well, I'm under, I'm wondering what would your sort of message be to other survivors who are maybe earlier in their process, maybe haven't told folks yet or haven't found the resources they need? What, what what would you have loved to hear in the early stages? Yeah, we're all, I, mean, I totally believe that we're, we're all on our own personal journey. So, uh, 
you know, might be hard to say one thing that relates to everybody, but what, even if there was just a glimpse of a comment that you could process on later is that healing is possible. It might seem cliche. It might seem um, so foreign to some, especially when you're so deep into it. Um, but if you just let that, just have a glimpse of hope um, and find a little bit of bravery just to ask yourself and allow yourself to be vulnerable and, and share, um, share with others what, you know, that you feel comfortable with and trust, allow yourself to be vulnerable. That's, I think, what would be so, would be such a kind of personal mission for mine. And I know that there's something that you share, especially this podcast, is to allow ourselves to have conversations about anything. And, you know, and even if it's uncomfortable at first, because what we'll find is that we're not alone. Mm-hmm. And that's something I would share. Too. I mean, there's so many other things, so many little snippets I'd share is that you're not alone. Healing is possible. Um, you know, vulnerability is strength. You know, for me, it was this wanting to live this authentic life, this life of resilience that's, you know, creating full of grace and believing I'm worthy of love, I think was so much of what I'm learning now is that I didn't believe I was worthy of love. I had no self-interest. I had no interest in myself. And so um, coming to probably the mo- what I think is most key is to allow, give yourself the permission to love yourself. You know, give yourself the permission to, um, you, you know, to, to feel like you're worthy of, you are worthy of love. And you are, you know, and so that's, that's been something that's, um, coming back to individual to self to self-love to self-compassion um, is what keeps me going well i i just so appreciate your honesty your sincerity and the authenticity that you have clearly worked to achieve in your life um, it's really inspiring i'm wondering as a last question um what do you wish like the the world you know the the system or the society really understood about this issue of childhood sexual abuse so so often i heard through the process that you know oh he must not this must not have impacted him that much or oh this must not be you know because you you're you're looking on the what i am and not who i am and i think when we start to understand that trauma is the inability to be present and when you're not, not present then you're you're not able to identify or discover yourself. And it, it destroys creativity, it destroys connection, it, you know, it, it, it has a lasting impact on community. Um, so really bring into greater conversation the impacts of trauma and understanding that um, we all would live in a, you know, I think more relatable and more forgiving world if we were able to be present. And mm-hmm. so in doing and allowing ourselves to be present, but I think we need to, in certain things, address through communication language, these, uh, these emotions behind the tra- trauma, which is these heavy ones like shame and fear and um, embarrassment and rage and, and anger. Um, and and be, the, these are, they're they're invisible to the eye, but they're uh, they're incredibly toxic to be carrying along along with you, and and, and they're destructive. They're completely destructive. Um, 
the years that I've been working on this, I've understood the impacts of trauma, but I'm going to continue to learn what might it be like when I have a child. Um, and am I looking, how, am I going to allow that child to be free and willing to discover? Um, and, or am I going to feel like I need to protect them so that what happens to them doesn't happen, you know, what happened to me doesn't happen to them. And but I think, you know, so much, I'm so grateful for the, so all of the people, especially in the Me Too movement who have, um, you know, all those Olympic gymnasts and, and so many others who have come forward and who have paved the path that, um, you know, you don't need to be worried um, of being believed. You know, you, this is this is an epidemic. This is, um, you know, a, a societal, this is a world issue. And I hope we can solve it. it. You know, part of my healing process is think about forgiveness of, um, of others. And, um, um, and it's not to forgive the person to what they did to me, but forgive that they may not have had the tools to know how not, maybe they were abused and they felt that in order to justify what was right to them, that they abused others. And so societal level so that we can kill, kill this cancer. Um, why are people abusing children? That I think is an incredibly important, uh, conversation that we as a, as a society, as a world should be having, um, because it, it, you read the news and it's not stopping. I mean, this is right. ha still happening. Uh, there's a lot of work to do as it relates to my journey, as it relates to, you know, I think where, where we are, but I, I do feel like there's a path, um, and a place for, and a place for these conversations. Well, Will, I'm so grateful for you adding your voice to these conversations and your openness. I think it's really inspiring to others to hear the courage.